0: Before we jump into God's Word, Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your Word. Uh, We thank you that we can worship you, and now we thank you, God, that we can uh, worship you by really just diving into your Word and allowing your Spirit to teach us. I pray that'll happen. Your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us uh, into what you would have for us this morning. We pray it in your Son's name. Amen. Remember when you were a kid and uh, it seemed like the grown-ups had all the fun Remember when you're a kid, you look at someone older, you go, know, they seem to have all the fun. They could stay up as late as they want to stay up. You know, they could drive. For some of us, we lived in homes where the adults were li- allowed to use words that we weren't allowed to use, which made them even a little more intriguing for, for, for some reason. I know my wife told me that uh, for her, she had a, a sister that was ten, that's 10 years older than her, and that she couldn't wear, wait to wear makeup like her sister was able to do. So I think there's a lot of times as kids, we look to that. I want to ask you, have you ever felt that same way when it comes to people that seem to be more mature? in their faith. I mean, you look at them, you see what their lifestyle looks like, you see how they act, how all, just everything about them, and you long to really experience that, that same peace, or that same contentment. Or it's a, lot, a lot of times you go, oh, man, I, I could just trust God, like they seem to trust God. So often I know we do that. So how do we do it? Really, how do we grow up or how do we uh, mature in our faith? Someone already told me that, that um, they appreciated the title of this, The Key to Growing in Faith, that this is it. They don't need any more sermons after this one. This is the sermon to end all sermons. It's not. But we are going to talk about that. How do you actually mature or grow up in your faith, something that so many of us really want to do, are desperate to do. And yet, the sad reality is that for, there are many people, really many people, that are followers of Jesus, and they've been following for years, if not even for decades. But spiritually, they're really what the Bible often refers to as infants uh, or children. And really what that really, all that really means is that, that they don't understand the deeper truths of God's word. See, as you mature in your faith, the truths that never, you just could not grasp before, they all of a sudden start to come alive to you. That's what maturing in your faith does. So how do we move from being a spiritual child to being a spiritual adult? Or more simply, just how do we grow? How do we grow in our faith? Well, the truth is that we grow in our faith as we continue to deepen in our intimacy with Jesus. That's where, that's the key, as we continue to recognize and to understand who he really is. Not just saying, oh yeah, I've heard about Jesus, or yeah, I know Jesus, or I've known Jesus, but it's learning to truly deep, go deeper in an intimate relationship with him as we learn more about him. It's like with my wife, the more that I continue to recognize and understand who she truly is, the deeper I fall in love with her. I think back to our first year of marriage, our first year of marriage, I guess I could use this word, it was hell. Uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> it, for, for her. Yeah, he said for whom? Uh, no, Dwayne, for both. Right. It, was, it was really, really difficult for us that first year for different reasons. But I really believe a big reason that our, it was our first year of marriage was so difficult is because I really did not know my wife. I really didn't know who she truly was. Now I've found that over the years, I fall deeper and deeper in love with her as I continue to understand who she is. And being a woman, right, guys, we never fully understand. But we slowly but surely do, and that's where our love just deepens more and more. So this morning, as we continue our series in Matthew, we're going to look at two very familiar stories that are really meant to help us to really recognize or understand who Jesus is in order to help us to grow deeper and deeper in our faith. So really, what we're going to specifically see from these two stories, and I'm just going to give you the punchline of this whole thing, is a key to growing in our faith is recognizing that Jesus is compassionate and powerful enough to do the impossible. That's what we're going to see about Jesus in these two very familiar stories. So let's look at the first one. Okay, starts in chapter 14. We're in chapter 14 of Matthew, verse, let's look at the first two verses here, tra- verses 13 and 14. It says, now when Jesus heard this, this is when he'd heard that John the Baptist, his cousin, had been executed, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from, the, from other towns, from the towns. And, when, the, and from, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick so here we have Jesus you know most likely he's exhausted you know we've just gone if you've been here the last month or so we've just gone through this time it's just been relentless ministry for Jesus teaching on all these parables all these miracles all this healing So I'm sure he is absolutely exhausted from that. And he's just heard about the execution, the ridiculous, as we saw, execution of his cousin, John the Baptist. So he wants some time alone. Understandably, he wants to just get away like that commercial, need to get away. This, is, this was where Jesus was. He wanted to get away with him and his disciples. But we see here that his plans are disrupted when uh, a sh- when the sort of this bush telegraph goes out and enables the crowds in the local towns to know where he is. They find out where Jesus is and they follow him. They say, we, here he is. We've heard. Let's go get him. We got to go. We got to go find out what's going on with him. We got to get some healing done. So, So much for solitude. It's done. That's not, that is not going to happen. Yet, yeah, look at how Jesus responds to this disruption of his plan. Okay, he knows it's being disrupted. What we see here is literally the heart of God exposed for us to plainly see. In this response, check out what he says. Instead instead, he's, instead of being irritated by the instructions of his plans, he responds with his compassion. See what he did? He Instead, he went out and he said, okay, I'm going to heal them. He didn't say, whoa, 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 wait a second. It's been a long week, men and women. It's been a long week. Can I just, you know, give me, a, give, give me, give me six hours. No. His response is, he, he, he just goes in. He has compassion on them. It says he saw the great crowd, and instead of being irked, He has compassion on him. Now, this word compassion in the Greek literally means that he was moved in his bowels or his guts. You see, because back then they thought that the source of all emotions happened from this inner area, our guts and our bowels. And Really, that's nothing new today. We use that same kind of talk today, don't we? We say things like, my stomach is all tied up in knots, don't we? We say that. Or, I have butterflies in my stomach when we're nervous, or we say, "I've got this gut feeling." So this is what they were saying. They had, this is what this is what this is what was happening to Jesus. He was having this visceral response to his this compassion. It wasn't just like, "Oh, these people are needy." No, he just he was feeling it. There was something that was that really came upon him. You know, remember that Jesus told his followers that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Remember that. He also said that he and the Father are one. You know, what this tells us is that God is not an impersonal force that's indifferent to the things that we go through. Because, people, because of the cross, God feels our pain. Because remember, along with being fully God, Jesus was also fully man. He was able to feel the whole gamut of emotions, of pain, of temptations that we experience. That's what the cross did. This is, what makes it, this is what makes Jesus able to be so compassionate and sympathetic with our pains and struggles. I think so often we think of Jesus as this holy guy up there or somewhere. that he yeah, he's, yeah, sure he was man, but he can't relate to me. He's fully God. But we forget that mysterious thing that happened that he became a man, 100% man also. So he gets it. He knows what we've been through. Hebrews 2, chapter 2, verse 18 says, since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. So he knows. He can relate. So when you hear that Jesus is compassionate, it doesn't mean that Jesus goes, oh yeah, I kind of get what they're going through. No, that means that he's feeling it. Our God knows what we're going through. There's a sense of identification that so oftentimes we think is not there because it's so, he's so far off and so him. So here we got Jesus totally exhausted. He's probably grieving, just wanting to get some downtime, but here he is moved physically and emotionally by the physical, by the emotional needs and the physical needs of this crowd. He's totally moved by it. And this tells us, what, another thing this tells us is that no matter where you are today, no matter what we're going through, no matter what situation, what state we're in, we find ourselves today, Jesus is more than willing and able to extend mercy and grace to us. This is where he is at. We can bring our difficulties. We can bring our struggles to him knowing that he feels compassion towards us. I hope you hear that today. I hope you realize that and know that in your head, that you and head and heart, that you can bring your struggles to Jesus knowing that it's, okay, you're not just throwing it out there and go, wow, I hope that goes somewhere helpful, that it goes to him and he has compassion He wants to help us and he wants to be involved in our lives. We can bring those things to him. Now we see the compassion. Jesus felt this compassion for the people, but it went just beyond that visceral feeling we talked about. Okay? It went further than that. He was feeling the compassion like we talked about, but what he actually does, he actually goes on to actually heal people, to do something about it. What, he, what the sick here is talking about, it literally means anybody who is weak, anybody without strength whatsoever, he was healing these people. So he goes, be his compassion, he feels this feeling of compassion. He gets, it, it hits him. It weighs on him, but then he does something about it, but the cool thing is the people, this crowd and the disciples, they ain't seen anything yet. They think this is, they think, wow, this is amazing. Then look what happens. Look at verse 15. We're going to go destroy. You're going to, this is awesome story. We all know it, but it's so wonderful. Now, when it came, it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go to the villages and buy food for themselves. Okay, so here's Jesus is teaching. He's healing. He's not looking at his clock. His compassion's flowing. He's just going. He's teaching like crazy, and all of a sudden the disciples, oh, it's way past dinner time, (laughs) and we're out in the middle of nowhere. These people need to leave. Jesus, we need to send these people away so they can go get something to eat because this place that we're in right now, there are no towns, there are no villages around that it would be easy to go get something. Taco Bell is not open. There's nothing. If they're going to eat anything, they need to leave now so they can travel probably many hours to go get something to eat. So... So Jesus is tell Jesus tells them, this is this is the, he said they say he's a des- this is a desolate place. So Jesus is teaching us that healing that and excuse me, <coughs> what Jesus is teaching and healing uh, doing here is he's saying, okay, I'm going to keep going until. I need to stop. So he just keeps on going. Now, look what, he, look what happens next. Um, he responds kind of like what must have seemed like a joke. This had to have seemed like a joke to the disciples. Look what he says in verse 16 and 17. But Jesus says, they need not go away. You give them something to eat, they said to him. We have, <laughs> we have only five loaves here and two fish. So Jesus suggests this whole different plan. He says, you feed them. I'm not gonna tell them to leave. You feed them. But I'm sure the disciples are like, uh, uh, what? <laughs> are you kidding me? That is not possible. Not possible at all. All we have is what we brought with us, and that's not much at all either. There's, there's 13 of us here, and we brought five loaves and two fish. So you must be kidding. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's teaching his disciples and us a very important lesson in what it means to be a follower of his. As a follower of Jesus, what he's saying here is, you and I can count on being asked by Jesus to do things that seem absolutely humanly impossible. We can count on it. It is going to happen. Yet when we are, we are to look to Jesus who we will see in a minute, is more than able to do what is humanly impossible. So just get that, that's an important thing as Christians for us to be realizing. We are going to be asked by him to do things. I like to tell people sometimes, it's like, we're going to be asked to be put in situations where if God doesn't show up, we're screwed. We are in big trouble. If he does not show up, we're in trouble. God asks us to do that because that's how we grow in our faith. That's how we move towards trust in him. To live like we want, he wants us to live. To witness to other peoples. To, over, to, come, to overcome sin. without on our own power, to have the courage to uh, overcome our fears, to do these things, to be able to overcome sins, things that are just holding us down, or to move out like he's asking us to do, we must, and we sang about this, we must rely on the power of God that is beyond our power. We need to stop saying, I know I can go this far, so that's all I'm going to do. He's teaching us that, no, I have power that you don't have. So this is something that we so often, I know I do, we neglect this. You see, all the disciples could see was an impossible task. That's all they could see. Thousands of people, a little bit of food, impossible. Case closed. We're done. Jesus, get on with sending them away but that's not what's going on here. The poor, that's, here's the important thing. We are called to simply be faithful and obedient to the Lord and leave the results as impossible as they might seem up to him. Let him take care of it. If I'm supposed to witness, if I'm supposed to step out in faith, things we're going to be looking at in a few minutes, we just need to be faithful and say, okay, uh, you take care of it, God. That's what he was saying to the disciples. He was basically saying, That's all you got? Okay, start feeding. That made no sense. But he's asking them just to be obedient, to be faithful to the task he's asking them to do. Well, next here we see Jesus go, really goes into action. Here's where we see um, Jesus do his thing. Look at verses 18 to 21. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So here we see Jesus takes the bread, tells the people to all sit down on the grass Um, Now we see in verse 21, Matthew tells us that there's 5,000 men. Uh, This didn't include any women and children that might have been there. So this crowd could have been massive. It could have been double. It could have been triple that size. So it would have been huge. It could have been about 15,000, 20,000 people possibly. So Jesus takes his bread, looks up to the heaven, and really in an act of, and I think a lot of times we gloss over this stuff, in an act of praise to God being the provider. Think about that. How often do we think about, okay, I have something here that God has given? Even just a meal. Think about when you thank God for a meal. The great provider. has given, Someone prayed to that in our prayer time this morning. The, that God just provides for us. I love that prayer. And we prayed it at the Seder. I love, and this is probably what Jesus said. He probably said, blessed are you, O Lord, our God, king of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. It's probably what he said. He was so thankful. He knew that God, the power of God, would provide this. Then he breaks the bread, and he gives it to the disciples. He distributes it to the people. And we see that everyone got plenty to eat. And there was abundance left over. I don't think people were going, hey, did you see that there was only five loaves and two fishes? You better not take too much. You know how there's a you know, when, when you're, you tell your kids when guests come over, make sure your guests get enough. So I'm sure none of that was going on. People didn't know. They're just, they're just chowing down. All this stuff just kept on coming, kept on coming. So what we see here is that Jesus does the impossible, he does the he just shows us the impossible. And here's the thing, I think we hear this familiar story. Some of you might have even had this on flannel graph. If anybody knows what that was. If you were, if you're, if you're probably, well, if you're over 50 and you were in Sunday school, you know what flannel graph is. That's how we learned. That's how we learned everything in church. It was this little board of flan, flannel. And there are these other, everything else, with, uh, the whole story was pieces cut out in flannel. And the teacher would teach and paste the flannel up onto the flannel graph. That's how we learned everything. I thought life was going to be flannel graph. That's <laughs> what it was, it was all going to be. That's, I thought that was how it was all going to be. But see, here's the thing. We hear this story and we go, yeah, Jesus, you know, fed the 50,000. We think, no big deal. I've, I've known that all my life. But we forget here that really what the message that Matthew is trying to get across is that this miracle screams, this is God in the flesh. It's screaming that, like I've said before, this is God in a bod, okay? This is God. Don't just see it as some big thing like David, maybe a step above David Copperfield. This is God. Don't miss that. And you can absolutely put your trust in him. Do you see what this, see how this miracle is screaming that? It's not just showing this incredible, cool thing, it's screaming that you can put your complete, 100% trust in this person because he is God. He has compassion on you, he has power to do the impossible. So let's move into our second one who has a second story, which has very much the same theme as this one. Another one, once again, another very familiar story that's meant to help us to better understand and recognize who Jesus truly is in order to help us to grow in our faith. So look at uh, verses 22 and 23. It says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, in in this... You got to understand here. There's there's a little side thing going on here. It says immediately where where I, I in some ways this can be seen as that where Jesus was um, trying to get his disciples to get going, get things moving along here, get to the other side of the lake because Jesus wanted to avoid this really this attempt that his the crowds and maybe even his disciples had to kind of force him to be kind of have a more openly messianic messianic role going on here. And we kind of get this idea because in John account of this story, he says, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. This is something that Jesus was not ready to do yet. So he just he moves, moves things along. All right, let's go along. I'm not ready to do that. Yet. Let's keep going, okay? So Jesus sends the disciples on ahead, and then he proceeds to finally get some time alone with his father. He finally is spending, and what we're going to see here, it's a lot of time that he spends with his father. I, I wish the Bible gave us more info. Don't you sometimes wish that the Bible gave us a little bit more insight? What was Jesus like until he was 30? I mean, what was, what was going What kind of teenager was Jesus? You know, was he getting his brothers in trouble with, uh, you know, uh, you broke the pot? No, I didn't. You know, it's like, I know what was, you know, <laughs> what, what was going on? But more importantly, I would love to know what it was like. What was Jesus's and his father's interactions like? Can you imagine if we had a front row seat and we do in some ways and the amazing thing is we have a front row seat and how he responded to his father when he was going through excruciating suffering and pain. We have that so this is so this is so intriguing uh here um. So we, we know that he, that what he's going through is a difficult time. So he's spending time with his father. Now he sends them across the boat, gets to spend some, a significant amount of time. And so next in verse 24, it says, but the boat, see our so whole thing now sudden it's funny how the Bible does where Jesus, now we're at, now we're at the disciples. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So we see the disciples, they're out on this lake, they're not making much headway at all due to this storm, due to the wind and the waves. Now look what happens in verses 25 and 26. Excuse me. And on the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. So now the fourth watch of the night, this is like what this was a somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So the disciples had obviously been rowing for a long time. They've been fighting the elements for hours and hours. So can you just, just, just think of your, just put this scene in your mind or put the flannel graph In your, in your, once again, this was one of those flannel graph stories. Imagine the scene in the middle of the night, the disciples are absolutely exhausted. They're just fighting. Okay, Jesus told us to go to the other side, so we got to go. So they're still going, they're going, they're exhausted. When all of a sudden, through this, the shadowy moonlight, Jesus, Appears walking on the water. I'm getting the flannel graph in my head. Sorry, he comes walking. (laughs) (laughs) He's walking out on the water, and it says here. It says they were terrified. I mean, who wouldn't be? They're exhausted. There's this big storm coming, and all of a sudden Jesus is walking, walking on the water. You know, the flannel graph guy didn't move much, but uh, you know, he was just walking, walking on the water. And it says they're like, ah, a ghost. They think Jesus is some spirit. They think he's, because no one could do this. Who could possibly do this? Look at verse 27 says, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. He says, it's me. Actually, he's using that same phraseology as saying, I am. It's me. God the one who you are seeing, who is actually God. <clears throat> now, next thing we see here right away is Peter. <laughs> good, old, good old Peter, he, want, he wants to join Jesus out in the water. Now, you got to understand, Peter gets a pretty bad rap often, doesn't he? he? Gets a bad rap for being the act before you think kind of guy. Any of those? Don't really, don't nudge your husbands or wives, okay? The act before you think kind of person. We get that, but the problem thing here is I think that, yet the reality is for this situation, I think Peter really loved Jesus. He loved Jesus, and I believe that he felt that if Jesus could walk on the water, then surely he would give them, him the ability to do it too. He was close to Jesus. He felt like, yeah, he's, he's my buddy. He's, not, he's beyond my buddy. He's someone I love. Of course, he would help me to do what he's doing. Kind of some of that think, act before you think going on. But I think there's a real love to be with Jesus and do what Jesus is doing. It's Like a little kid wants to get out there, you know, a daddy's hammering with the with the nails. I want to get out there with a the little plastic hammer, and I want to be with daddy. I want to I want to do what daddy's doing. I think that's kind of what's going on here with him. We'll look, at, let's look at um, look at verses uh, 28 to 33 here. Um, Jesus, Peter thinking this, he says, okay. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He says, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those on the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. So here we got Peter seeing Jesus freaking out at first. Here's he hears Jesus. And he says, OK, wait a second. OK, OK, it's you. Now, we don't know how far Peter got. We have, it could have been two steps. We could have been walking for a while. We have no idea how far he got. But here's what happened. When he saw the effects, he started to look around, saw the effects of the wind. He began to sink, and he cries out to Jesus to help him. Isn't this really describe us in many ways I think it really ha- this happens to us. We love Jesus. Those that are followers of Jesus, we love Him. We want to be with Him. We want to be obedient. We want to be faithful to Him. So we step out in faith. We want to share our faith with a friend, or we want to share our faith with a coworker, or a neighbor, or a neighbor. And as we begin to approach that subject, all of a sudden, we're gri- we're afraid. We're gripped, we're gripped with fear. What if I say the wrong thing? Or what if I don't know how to answer the question or, 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 or worse yet, what if they end up thinking I'm a nut job? I, I, I can't, I, I can't do it. See, we do the same thing that Peter does. Or what if we want to be generous with our time, or with our talent, or with our treasure, yet when the opportunities actually do come up for us to do those things, we begin to fear, we end up afraid, wait a second, what if the demands are too much? What if I don't really have the time for that? What if it takes away from what other things I want to do? What if I fail? What if I fail at that very thing that I feel like God is wanting me to try? Or what if our, what if our own financial needs might not be better? We're already in the hole. Or things are already tight. Whoa, 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 wait a second. What if we struggle in that area? Yeah, I think we're more like Peter than we think we are. We often think he was that wild and crazy, goofy guy. I think we're a lot like him. Now, Jesus, in a real sense, what he does here, he scolds Peter for his lack of faith that caused him to doubt. Now, he's not scolding Peter because he doesn't have enough faith. We'll see later. Remember that Jesus tells his disciples, if you have faith the size of a what? Yeah, if you have size of mustard seed, you can do what? Move mountains. You can tell this mountain to move. So he's not saying that. One commentator I read this week said, little faith is a faith that does not hold firm in the midst of adversity or confusing circumstances. You see, Jesus scolds Peter here, not for his lack of faith, but for taking his eyes off of the object of his faith. Okay? Peter still believes in Jesus. He still has faith in Jesus, but when he takes his focus off of Jesus, it allows him instead to focus on the chaos that's going on all around him. And what happens? He becomes afraid. Fear comes in. You see, the opposite of faith isn't no faith. The opposite of faith is fear that's the opposite fear that god can't or god won't provide or he won't save or he won't do what we need him to we think we need him to do you see faith can be described as confidence not in self but by the means of the power of christ okay confidence faith is confidence not in self but by the means of the power of Christ. The writer of Hebrews tells us that faith is conviction or it's confidence. It's confidence that's found not in ourselves, not in our abilities, not in our gifts, not in our bank account. It's not found in that, but it's found in Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You see, when we live in fear, it doesn't mean that we have no faith or that we've lost our faith. It means that we have lost our focus. Focus on the one who provides the courage to push through those fears. The courage to push through those fears so that we can actually walk victoriously, as a follower of Jesus. Don't you want, don't you just long for that? To walk victoriously? So often we feel like we're, this is the, this is, this is the farthest line I've got to in my relationship with Jesus. And this is where it's going to stay. And we get content with that, don't we? All right. I've been this, I've been doing this gig a long time. And this is about, this is about where it ends. This is about where it stops. And Jesus said, ah, don't, that's fear. That's the fear line. Don't let the fear line rule. Let faith rule. So that's what he's asking us to do, to trust in him, not us, not our stuff. Even in the midst of the chaos that's going on all around us, to push through and walk victoriously, to have focus on the one who is totally compassionate, totally compassionate and powerful enough to do the impossible. You see, we grow in our faith when we recognize and trust in and lean into that truth that that's who he is. Because if you know that he's compassionate, if you know that he loves you, if you know that he's all powerful to do anything possible, you're willing to look at that line and say, I can step over it. I can move past that, not because I'm good, not because I finally took that class, not because I I went to that seminar, not because of whatever, not because I won the lottery, Uh, not whatever, not because I got a raise. I can walk past that line because of the truth of who Jesus is. That is how we grow in our faith, trusting who he really is. It's when we stop focusing on who Jesus is that our faith departs, and we begin to work things out on our own. You ever have that happen? Everybody better be feeling that way in this room. (laughs) We feel like, okay, I got to figure this out. I got to take care of this. I got to do this on my own. Jesus, I'll ask you for prayer, but then give me in my, you you know, you do this for me, versus saying, I'm just going to be faithful to move forward. Okay, it's because when we start doing things on our own strength, that's when the feelings of desperation come in, right? It's like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I I thought I was supposed to, I thought God was calling. I've heard this as a pastor. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this line. I thought God was telling us to do this. Now I'm scared to death. I don't know if we should do it. Most of the time, what they need, go do it. (laughs) Go do it. Not all the time. Sometimes they were, didn't get the right counsel and stuff, but usually it, the fear is taking over. They didn't lose their faith. The focus, the object of their faith, they got lost focus on it. And the sooner we learn that we cannot control our circumstances and that the key to overcoming is keeping our eyes on Jesus, the better off we will be. Now, remember back in chapter 8, when Jesus and his disciples, remember they were out on the lake and Jesus was snoring, sleeping in the, however that happened, because these weren't like luxury liners. Jesus was sleeping in the bow, at the bow of the boat and all of a sudden this storm comes up and they start freaking out and they wake Jesus up. We're going to die. We're going to die. And then so Jesus, you know, stands up, you know, calms the sea, just really easily. Remember what the, remember what the disciples response was then? What sort of man is this? who even the winds and the sea obey? They're like, who are you? What? Well, I think the disciples are now starting to begin to understand a little bit more who Jesus truly is. Because this time, as soon as they are back in the boat and the winds and the waves completely die down, the disciples respond to Jesus in a way that this is the first time they've ever done this. The first time, what does it say there, that last verse that we looked at? He says that they worshipped him. They were understanding who he actually was. They were fully recognizing that he is his compassion for them and the power to do the impossible. They were seeing it. They were recognizing that this was actually the son of God. Remember that miracle that screamed, this is God's son. They were getting it. They were starting to see it. And they began to. To recognize that he is God. He is God's son. The promised Messiah that we have been waiting for. And what's their response? They can't help it. They worship him. There's nothing, really, there's nothing. I can't imagine them thinking about anything else at that moment. They were just in awe of who he was at that moment. Who he is and who he was at that moment. And really, this should be our response as well. You know, when we fully understand that Jesus is compassionate towards us and that he's powerful enough to do the impossible in and through us, not only should this cause us to be willing to step over that line of fear and grow in our faith, but really the other response should be oh my gosh, you are awesome. You are amazing. And if you haven't had that experience, and if you haven't felt like wanting to just bust out in worship or just think it or whatever, chances are fear has been ruling. That doesn't mean you don't have faith. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you've lost, taken your focus off of what the object of your faith is to be. And it's easy just to put it back on there. You can do, we can do this. We should be doing this. What happens is we're able to then worship God with everything we are. When we come to church on Sunday morning, we should be able to come together and as we're singing these songs, we're just going, what a beautiful name it is to be able to go, oh my gosh, I can't think of anything else. I can't think of the people next to me. I can't think of anything else. All I can think of is that beautiful name of Jesus. That's what we, that. That's that's our response. But I know we're going through so much stuff. Where so much our focus is off of. If if worship is stale, if worship is dry, if worship is something you don't enjoy anything at all, your focus is off of Jesus. I. It's not in my notes. I just felt I needed to say it. Not that you. Not that you have this great voice and you. I feel like I gotta finally sing to everybody. No, that's not what I'm saying. But if there's a sense inside of you that you have to express this amazement at who God is. That only happens as we are really fully recognizing who Jesus is. If we're not seeing who Jesus is, church is stale, reading the Bible is stale, prayer is boring, all of that. Because we're not, obviously we're not seeing Jesus. Because if our focus was on Jesus and his, how incredible he is, we would want to worship him. We would want to express our incredible, God, you are Amazing. Well, we're going to we close it here with really it, it's really interesting this little this little side little thing is in here these last two verses or these last three verses really I kind of see them as kind of like an exclamation point on really these two stories. Jesus and his disciples they come ashore somewhere close to Capernaum, not far from where he had already performed miracles. So he was coming into some familiar territory here. Look what happens. This is this is how he ends this section here. And when they crossed over, They came to the land at Gethsemane, and when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Obviously, Jesus' reputation preceded him here. Now, and speaking of what this tells us about Jesus, commentator commentator William Barclay says this. I really like this. He says, the most tremendous thing about Jesus was that he taught men what God was like by showing men what God was like. He did not tell men that God cared. He showed them that God cared. There's little use preaching the love of God in words without showing the love of God in action. Once again, compassion and power on display. So, do you want to grow in your faith? If the answer is yes to that question, it starts by keeping your focus on Jesus, the object of your faith. Here's what I want you to do this week. Next time you're tempted to begin to, to focus on on the chaos around you, okay, family, job, whatever, when you're tempted to focus on that and not, or not follow through with how you know the Lord is asking you to be, what the Lord is asking you to deal to do, and you, feel, you start to feel kind of, I'm starting to feel afraid. I'm starting to feel fear here a little bit. I want you to, here's what I want you to do. Remind yourself, or just remind yourself, because you know what fear feels like. When that starts to come, to remind yourself that the key to growing in faith is remembering that Jesus is compassionate towards you. He loves you. He is 100% for you. And he has enough power. He is powerful enough to do the impossible in you, through you, and for you. That's your homework for the week. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your incredible love your compassion and your power and how that those things when we recognize those they cause us to really grow in our faith i pray that for everybody here that we god would be able to grow in our faith because we are understanding more and more who jesus is we are focusing more on i want i want that god i want to learn how to focus more on jesus throughout the week as I as I worry about my kids or I worry about preparing for a sermon or to talking to people that God that I would focus on Jesus and who Jesus is, knowing that Jesus, you are for me. And you ask me to do things that are impossible on my own strength. But you do the impossible. Help us all to live in that truth this week. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.